Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. Hello, hello. Welcome back, everybody, to a brand new episode of Peddling Fiction, the show that's here to inoculate you against propaganda. For all you new listeners out there not familiar with the show, I'm flying solo today. I do have a co-host once or twice a week, but um, we discuss politics, economics, current events with a liberty-leaning mindset. And for all the thousands of listeners returning to hear today's show, welcome back. I got a pretty good show for you today. I want to talk about the job situation in the U.S. and sort of related to what's going on over in France across the pond. I don't know if a lot of people this side of the pond are familiar with the situation, but they are rioting over there. It all started with a gas tax increase related to climate change initiatives that the president wants to implement. We're going to get all into that. But um, I wanted to start with, uh, I guess, a minor rant on the, the job scene in America these days. Because I did get pulled into another uh, fairly worthless training seminar today. You know, this one comes on the heels of sexual harassment training that I just did for the, you know, 50th time. Seems like at least once a year, probably twice a year in perpetuity, along with, you know, ethics training we get that this time of year you know you're not allowed to accept gifts from anybody in excess of $75 and if you get something in the excess of $75 you have to split it with the whole department yada 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 can't go to lunch can't have any fun basically because they don't want to corrupt your thinking towards other companies and they want you giving preferential treatment yada 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 all that great stuff and um, this was sort of a long the same vein as that uh just every time i get pulled into one of these things where i get the mandatory email telling me that i have to complete the training again even though i completed it last year or earlier this year and i used to test and i've never had a problem with any of these issues i just wouldn't it be nice if there was just some sort of waiver for all this crap you know something along the lines of hey you know if i get caught violating companies policy xyz I have I hereby sacrifice any right to recourse I may have in a court of law blah 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 and you can fire me upon conviction or whatever you know <laughs> it just seems like such a waste of everyone's time if you've been at a company for 5 10 20 years you'd think you built up some sort of stock where if you haven't had any incidents of sexual harassment per se and you've taken the training five times or whatever, and you've passed it all five times, you'd think they'd at least find some way to expedite it a little bit. But I suppose that'd be too easy, wouldn't it? 
what would all these busybodies in HR do? Or all these blood-sucking lawyers that companies have to keep on retainer? <laughs> you know, and it's not, you, you can't really blame the company, right? Because they just don't want to get sued. You know, th- this is not, no company in a free market wants to take time out of all their employees' days, pull them away from their productive behavior, what they're paying them for, taking them away from that, sitting them down in a room or sitting them down in front of a a computer-generated class thing, whatever the hell you call it, webinar, and lecturing them on how you're not supposed to smack girls' asses around the office or... (laughs) whatever you know drone on and on about diversity ah that's another another one diversity training another one of my favorites and uh, of course when they mean diversity they're only talking about the most superficial traits in a person you know okay you got skin color check man woman check sexual orientation check you know it's not diversity of thought or opinion whatever that's neither here nor there anyways the one I got pulled into today was about how to document misconduct that will uphold in a court of law, which, as far as pointless meetings and trainings go, is probably one of the more beneficial, and it's unfortunate that I have to say that because I have been through the process of having to document misconduct, and it is tedious and completely unnecessary. So, I mean, when I say that this is a a pointless training seminar, the fact is that it should be a pointless training seminar. But the the sad reality of the world we find ourselves in today is that it is necessary to teach employers how to do this stuff. And, I mean, it's unfortunate that we find ourselves in this situation. But the fact is... This day and age, you have to cover your ass. The, it's funny, the, the lecturer actually started off by saying that the purpose of this seminar is to protect you for when you inevitably get sued because it's only a matter of time after you go into business that somebody's going to bring a frivolous lawsuit against you or the company or probably both. It's another thing that's a little ridiculous. You know, you could employ, let's say you employ... 10, 15, 20 people, whatever it is, right? And one of your employees sexually harasses another employee. And, you know, the the person who's sexually harassed, they don't sue that employee. They come after you and your company. Like, you're liable for their behavior. It's absolutely ridiculous. But I sort of digress there. So the lady basically starts off the seminar explaining that the reason that we have to do this is because you're going to get sued. It's pretty much guaranteed you're going to get sued if you go into business these days. And then she proceeded to go into excruciating detail about the right and wrong ways to document misconduct, which in and of itself sort of speaks volumes. Not only do we have to waste a ton of time and energy documenting performance issues, we basically have to endure hours and hours of legal training to make sure we don't include any erroneous words or phrases or commentary that can be used against us in a court of law. Yes, a court of law, you will be taken into a court of law to justify disciplinary actions against an employee or, you know, God forbid you have to fire them. You know, we all have to become legal experts 
in a sense, that you know, we're tiptoeing around on eggshells. Should we ever find ourselves in the unfortunate situation where we have to take disciplinary action against an employee or, God forbid, fire somebody? You're going to end up in court, and you have to be very, very careful how you document your reasons for the disciplinary action, whatever it may be. And the fact that we have to justify our firings, I shouldn't say our, (laughs) the fact that you as an employer have to justify your reason for firing somebody is absolutely ridiculous. The truth is you should be able to fire anybody you want for any reason at any time. That job belongs to you, the employer, not you, the employee. You, as an employee, have no right to a job. I, I, I don't know what to tell you. Sorry, you don't. That, that job belongs to the employer who created it. It's not yours. You are temporarily fulfilling a position created by someone else's money, someone else's labor, someone else's property. Somebody else sacrificed, saved, invested. Somebody else's ingenuity creativity, hard work went into creating that position that you're currently filling. It's not yours. And if I can borrow some words from former President Obama, and I can actually use them in the correct context, you as the employee, you didn't build that. Somebody else made that happen. And that somebody else is the employer, and he should be able to fire anybody who wants to for any reason. You could look at him the wrong way. Maybe he doesn't like the way you say good morning. Maybe <laughs> something that's been driving me crazy in the past is uh, maybe the employee eats a really loud, annoying lunch or chews gum all the time and it pops between her, their teeth. You should be able to fire somebody for that. You have the right as the owner of the job to do with it what you want. Now, I don't think it's good business practice to be just be firing people because you don't like the way that they greeted you in the morning or you're in a bad mood and you're taking it out on your employees. But that's your right as the, as the business owner. And you're going to have to suffer the consequences of the way you treat your employees in the marketplace. We as libertarians, we believe that you have the right to the fruits of your labor. If you own your body, you own the byproducts of what your body creates. In this case, it's a job. So this, like so many other issues, boils down to property rights. That job belongs to the employer. It's his property. He created it. It's a byproduct of his labor. Um, He can do with it what he wants. And he doesn't lose his rights. He or she shouldn't have to sacrifice their rights just because you decided to employ somebody. And think of how think of how ridiculous it is. An employee can quit the job at any time. Yeah, it'd be nice if they put in their two weeks, and I'm sure employers appreciate that, but you're not obligated to do that. You're not even obligated to let the employer know you're not coming in. You just not show up. How's that fair? Shouldn't you have to give him notice? You know? Shouldn't you have to justify why you're gonna quit the job or why you're not gonna take it in the first place? Think of all the rules and regulations that go into the hiring process, right? Not allowed to discriminate against 
men, women, people of color, people with disabilities, which I don't think a lot of employers would if left to their own devices because that's a horrible way of running a business. But, you know, the employees, they get to discriminate for whatever they want. You could offer them a job. They don't have to take it. They could say, you know, I I don't want to work for a man or I don't want to work for a woman or I don't want to work for a black man. I don't want to work for someone in a wheelchair. Or they go the opposite way. They could say, I only want to work for a Hispanic woman in a wheelchair. That's a lesbian. (laughs) I wouldn't, if I was an employee, I wouldn't want to limit myself to that narrow of a job market. But the point is, they get to use their discretion for whether or not they take a job. They're not obligated to accept any job that's offered for them. They have discretion. Why do you lose that discretion the second you employ somebody? You shouldn't. It's unfortunate that the society we've allowed to be created, and I say allowed to be created because I believe we get the government that we deserve, and we have let these politicians that pander to the majority of the people turn something, turn the labor market into something where the riskiest thing you can do as the owner of a business is employ somebody. You basically lose all your rights the second you decide to employ anybody. And, I mean, in that sense, this lady that was doing this lecture is absolutely right. Hiring people opens you up to all sorts of liability. You can be sued for whatever you want. Like, there's no, there's no, there's no downside to bringing a lawsuit against the company. A lot of times, the, the employer will just settle out of court because he's going to have to, you know, he's either going to have to stand on principle and pour hundreds of thousands of dollars into the lawsuit, or, you know, he can get you to go away for 10 or 15, 20 grand. So, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's something that's always on my mind whenever I'm called into one of these training seminars or I have to do one of these mandatory trainings. All of these rules and regulations that the governments force us to do, and especially when it comes to things like the Anti-Discrimination Acts, they actually have the opposite effect of what the politicians or the the lobbyists intended. Or people who are competing in a marketplace, an employer, for the most part, there is no incentive for them to discriminate against people's very superficial, um, you know, hiring a man over a woman, somebody who's Hispanic or somebody who's African American or disabled, all else being equal, the most qualified person to get the job is who the employer is incentivized to hire in a free market. Because what what are they concerned about? They're concerned about their bottom line, their competition. If you're going to pass up all of these super qualified employees, all these candidates to help you run your business better, your competition is going to hire those people. And then you have to compete with the lesser uh, workforce, right? Because you're you're too concerned with skin color or something. You're going to pass up a lot of great candidates for the job, and you're gonna you're gonna let your competition hire those people out from under you. Uh, you're gonna have to suffer for your discrimination in the marketplace, and you could go out of business. So discrimination becomes much more incentivized when the government steps in and creates protected classes of people who now, once hired, have a very clear avenue of recourse to shake you down. I mean, think about it from the employer's perspective, right? 
he's going to hire somebody. And anytime you hire somebody, you know, there's a potential it's not going to work out, right? And you're going to have to fire them. Well, anytime you're doing something as an employer, you have to think about what kind of risk you're opening yourself up to. So what kind of risk do you open yourself up to this day and age by hiring a cisgendered white male? I mean, practically nothing, right? They can't claim discrimination when you fire them. They can't claim sexual harassment. You know, we're, we're, not, we're not a protected class. Now, think about it as the employer and, you know, somebody, somebody black comes into the interview. Now, in a normal environment, that employer is just worried about, is this the best candidate for the job? Can he help me grow my business? Um, is this somebody that I want to work with every day? That sort of stuff. But now, um, given all these anti-discrimination uh, anti acts that the government has passed and all these rules and regulations and laws we have to follow, now they're not just thinking about that. They're thinking about, oh, God, well, what if I hire this guy and it doesn't work out and I need to fire him? And then he can sue me for discrimination, even though I, it, I'm firing him because he sucks at his job and not because I don't like black people, Right. So, I mean, that's, there's a potential lawsuit there that could literally, I mean, if it's a small business, it could destroy the business. You go out of business just like that. These lawsuits cost tens, hundreds of thousands of dollars if you take the stand on principle. So the employer is then incentivized to probably not even interview a black person to begin with. And as, as long as your, your business is small enough, you can kind of get by, you know, say you have like five, six maybe 10 employees, you can kind of be like, well, you know, I don't have a large enough sampling to have, you know, black people, Hispanic people, women, disabled people. Once you get above a certain threshold, obviously that all changes. You can't have a, a company with 200 people and no minorities in it, right? Then you're going to get accused of discrimination. What I'm trying to get at here is these discrimination laws, they only end up hurting the very people that they're designed to help. I mean, that's generally the case for any government law that's being passed. Disability is, is no different. I'm sure that, you know, most employers would be more than happy to accommodate a disabled person as long as, you know, they weren't making like outlandish requests or anything. They want their employees to be comfortable. And I think most people just generally speaking have concern for disabled people they want them to feel equal they want them to be happy at their job they want them to feel comfortable you don't want any of your employer employees to be uncomfortable the way things work now it's like <laughs> you got people going into chipotle with rulers and measuring the height of the counter and if it's like a three quarters of an inch off they're, they're gonna sue you it's absolutely ridiculous anyways i i sort of went off on a a tangent there. I do want to get into the French connection with all this. Basically, my train of thought here is that, yeah, there's a lot of issues in the American workforce. You know, there's a lot of barriers to entry. There's a lot of rules and regulations surrounding employment. I just kind of briefly went over some of the issues that employers face. I, I only scratched the surface, but yeah, the costs to hiring people, the cost to firing people, the cost of compliance. These are all issues that affect the U.S. job market, and they're all, um, they affect the overall economy. They take away from productive behavior, and they hurt our bottom line. Um, they hurt our overall standard of living. 
as bad as all that is, and it, it is pretty bad here in America, we have nothing on the French. I mean, it's not even close. I was looking at some of the some of the benefits that French employees get, and I mean, they they will blow your mind when we get into them. But first, let's let's take a step back and go over what's been happening over in France for about three weeks. I want to say uh, maybe four weeks at this point it began sometime. I uh, actually it began. November, around November 17th, I was actually still vacationing in Thailand at the time. God, it sucks to be back. But several weeks ago, well, here, I'll just, I'll read directly from the article. This this is coming from, uh, let's see, this is Zero Hedge. For three weeks, tens of thousands of French protesters have donned yellow vests and marched throughout Paris. While the yellow vest movement began on November 17th as a grassroots protest against President Emmanuel Macron's gas tax levied in the name of climate change, it has morphed into a general rage against the French government in general at a time when Macron's approval rating is at an all-time low. So, basically... What sparked this whole thing was this gas tax that they wanted to levy to reduce carbon emissions. Something that always bugs me about the left is they seem to understand that raising taxes on certain things affects people's behavior, just only in certain situations, apparently, according to them. So, yes, if we increase the tax on gas, fewer people will want to drive their cars that will reduce carbon emissions and help the overall climate change situation blah 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 but for some reason they don't think that increasing the tax on labor for instance would lead to higher unemployment anyways that's a discussion for another podcast the reason they're calling this the yellow vest protest is and i didn't know this until i started reading up on this whole thing but french motorists are required to have these you know these super bright neon yellow reflective vests in their vehicle at all times cars motorcycles whatever you have to have everybody in france who drives a vehicle has one of these vests and it's required by law just another one of those french paternalistic things that would drive me absolutely crazy and i'm sure if I were to look into it, this was brought about by lobbyists who, I'm sure, manufacture or sell these stupid yellow vests. They hide behind the veil of safety. They don't want you as a motorist, if your car breaks down, to not be visible on the side of the street. So make sure you have your yellow vest with you. I'm sure you're too stupid not to stand in the middle of the street and not get hit by cars. So... Anyways, that's why they call it the Yellow Vest Movement. It started as sort of like a a rural grassroots type thing because anytime you increase the cost of of things like um, gasoline or energy um, used to heat your house, drive your cars, whatever, it always affects the poor people the most because they they devote a higher percentage of their income to doing those things and these guys got to get to work so in the in the rural areas of france um there was this uprising and you know thanks to social media what have you um it's now morphed into this huge thing there are tens of thousands i think this past weekend they had upwards of a hundred thousand people protesting throughout france a ton of them being in paris But the article goes on to say, and this article I think is about a week old, so. What's more, the movement is spreading. 
with yellow vest demonstrations seen in Belgium, Italy, and the Netherlands by those expressing frustration over similar issues. The protests have turned violent, as disaffected rioters have been setting cars on fire, causing structural damage, and assaulting the police. Riot cops in Brussels, for example, were pelted with billiard balls. I don't... Oh, billiard balls, sorry. a billiard ball, uh, cobblestones, and other hard objects last week. Uh, while the Yellow Vest movement is now working to form a Belgium political party under the movement name, I'm not even going to try to pronounce that, something super Belgium. I'll call it Yellow Vest, just like I'm not trying to pronounce that movement in French either. So you've got protesters setting fire to cars, burning barricades, smashing windows, looting stores, you know. Typical riot behavior. Got the you've got the cops stepping in, tear gassing people. Something like seventeen hundred people were arrested in France this past weekend. I mean, these are massive, massive protests. Tens of thousands of people. One thing that drives me crazy about these protests, protests in general, is the fact that these people go and they go out and they attack businesses. They destroy people's personal property, destroy their car, loot their stores. These are people that had nothing to do with any of this, right? You don't you can't just go and burn down somebody's store because you're pissed off at the government. Go attack a government building. March on parliament, march on Washington. Go attack the you're mad at the police, go attack the 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 police station. You know, it's stuff in Ferguson, they're burning down people's, you know, people's livelihood. So I don't know. It just it seems like a very um, privileged position to use one of the the left's words there to think that you know you're, you're going to throw a temper tantrum and then just go destroy somebody else's life, somebody else's livelihood, somebody else's hard work, their car, their personal property because you're upset about something that has nothing to do with them. It seems very very privileged to me. But I do sympathize with these French protesters. Let's take a step back and give a little um, history here. I mean, France, under the previous president, Francois Hollande, he increased the the tax rate to something like 75%. Okay. And um, Macron, 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 I don't know how to pronounce his French name, but... He, he comes in and he gives a, I mean, what they're calling a massive tax cut for the wealthy. But, I mean, to call, um, to call any, anything in France a massive tax cut, I mean, they literally just overtook one of, the, one of the Nordic countries as the highest tax nation in the world. So even with these massive tax cuts that for the rich that Macron has ushered in, they're still a ridiculously high-tax country. But while I do sympathize with the plight of these protesters, they're, they're protesting, I don't want to say they're protesting for the wrong reason, but the things that they want are not going to help them out. What they want is, yes, they want their taxes lowered, but they want to raise taxes back up on the wealthy and you know, increase the size of government even more, increase the amount of handouts they're getting even more. And that's, it's just not going to, it's not going to work out for them. I was looking up some of these numbers and I mean, the, first of all, the French government accounts for 57% of France's GDP, 57%. 
I mean, that that is unsustainable. You can't run a country when you have more people pulling out of the system than they have putting into the system, right? If the government's spending almost 60%, they're, they're stealing. They're stealing from the productive sector of society and giving to the least productive part of society and taking a huge chunk for themselves along the way. When you have 60% going that direction, it's unsustainable. And I mean, what they're finding out now, they have something like 5 million government workers. Um, and this article I was reading was saying, yeah, they need to cut that government workforce by 1.5 million. So they have almost like 20% too big of a government workforce. And I think it's it's something, yeah, I have the number here actually. It's 22% of the entire workforce in France works for the government. 22% of the workforce is engaged in unproductive work from an economic standpoint. And and then I was I was looking at some of these ridiculous perks that these government workers get. They have so I mean these numbers are actually kind of old, so I'm guessing that they've gone up since here cuz this was an old article from I think USA Today. Yeah, USA Today and I mean this this article's 5 years old. But I mean, they have 157 ambassadors that are making over, or on average, $353,000 a year. I didn't even know that we paid ambassadors. I thought that was just like a gig with perks, but I guess you pay them something. They're paying them $353,000 a year on average. Um, they get to live in a free, a free embassy, all kinds of perks that go with it. They have 656 civil servants that are paid more than the prime minister and the president. I don't even know how that's possible. How could you have some low-level government worker making more than the prime minister or the president? Public schools, the teachers, or the directors of public schools, which I think is like the equivalent of a principal here in the U.S., they get free apartments in Paris, free housing for teachers. More than 40,000 teachers get, are getting free houses to stay in. You know, like kindergarten teachers. Now you get a free apartment in Paris. It must be nice. <laughs> they have uh, two of these um, teachers were, were living in places that cost more than $20,000 a month. $20,000 a month. I mean, that's, that's $240,000 a year in just housing, free housing for teachers. Ministers, they get first class train and taxi rides for or first class train passes for all the ministers taxi rides are free for members of the assembly they have 150,000 of the french civil servants also get a free car for personal use i'm sure these numbers have gone up over the last 5 years because the entire public sector workforce is up 36% since 1983 i know i'm throwing a lot of numbers at you guys um they have the pu- the police commissioners Listen to this. Their police commissioners live in mansions, like 18th century palaces. One's in a hotel, like the entire hotel is just his. It's got 16 servants. 16! I, <laughs> I wouldn't even know what to do with 16 servants. <laughs> yeah, you get a butler. Uh, you get a maid, a couple maids, I guess, because your your palace needs to be cleaned, right? So, yeah, let's say like, you know, three, four maids, a chef, somebody to walk your dog. I mean... I don't know what, like, I guess people to do the yard work too. I have no idea what you do with 16 servants. It's absolutely ridiculous. The idea that they think that they can keep up this sort of profligacy is just, is so unrealistic. 
And the people have a right to be pissed off that their money's being stolen from them to prop up this type of regime. But the solution is not to just, oh, cut my taxes and raise the taxes on the rich to pay for it. There's not enough money in the world to finance this sort of behavior. The unemployment rate in France, it's about 9%. And it's been hovering around 9% for the last 10 years or so. Youth and unemployment is 20%. So what's been going on with their labor force, and another reason why these people are protesting out of frustration, is because they don't really have jobs. Why don't they have jobs? Well, let's go over some of the work benefits that French workers get. Let me remind you, this is mandated by the government that private companies provide these benefits to their workers. Um, this is coming from an article from 2016, The American in Paris. So this, I don't know if this is a man or woman, but they're talking about all the benefits that they get working in France. So everyone knows about the 35-hour work week, but what you don't know is that the French are required to be compensated for the time they work beyond 35 hours. This comes out to a minimum of two and a half days per month every month of the year. And at most large companies, that adds up to 30 days per year using that accounting. Okay, so they get a little extra overtime there. Okay, you have uh, what are called CP. I'm not even going to try to pronounce these French words, but it's abbreviated CP. Everyone is required after the first year of work to be provided with an additional five weeks of paid vacation. If you add that to the RTT, which is what I just talked about, uh, being compensated for over um, 35 hours a week, they abbreviate abbreviate that the RTT. If you add that to the RTT, you can begin to understand why the entire country is gone from roughly July 15th through September 1st and still have leftover personal vacations in the winter and spring. They also have national holidays, obviously. Looks like there's about 11 days here. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, 11 days. Uh, Pretty standard stuff for uh, most government workers in the U.S. I don't think a lot of private companies provide all these days off. They get January 1st, Easter Monday, Labor Day, Ascension Thursday. Not exactly sure what that is. Um, They get VE Day, which is, you know, victory in Europe. Uh, Pentecost Monday... July 14th, for some reason, the Assumption, August 15th, All Saints Day on November 1st, Armistice Day, November 11th, and Christmas. An additional 11 days, uh, add that on to your five weeks, right? Um, Public transport subsidy. If you take public transportation to work, your employer must subsidize at least 50% of the cost of your, your transportation pass. Okay, they also get food subsidies. I, I couldn't get a clear answer on the exact amounts, but you get vouchers called Ticket Restaurant where um, you basically split the cost of your meal 50-50 between you and your employer. So they give you these daily vouchers. Uh, they're like 10 euro a day. You contribute five. The employer contributes five. Some of these go up to as high as looks like 20 euro a day. So you'd put in 10, the employer would put in 10, and you get to use those at various restaurants throughout France. Uh, It it doesn't say that there's any restrictions here. It's not like you can only use them in the food court in your building or something like that. No, no, no. You go to, like, you know, the bakery across the street, get yourself a baguette on the company dime. You get tuition reimbursement. 
If you wish to take classes or training, possibly even training to change your career and quit your current job, your employer has to pause your job and allow you to take those classes. Your employer may refuse twice, but may not refuse if you request a third time. So you don't even have to work while you're going to school. It's not like you're taking night classes. You can just stop working, go to class. You're still getting paid to work. And it's not clear whether or not the employer is actually footing the bill for some of these. It says tuition reimbursement. But you're definitely getting paid while you're taking the, the courses either way. Um, and it's unclear whether or not they're, the employer is actually footing the bill for some of this. There is more vacation in addition to those five weeks that you get after the first year you work for somebody. Man, Jesus Christ, five weeks. That's more vacation than most people get ever. You you could work at a company for 20 years. They're not going to give you five weeks vacation. So let's talk about the maternity and paternity leave. French women are entitled to 16 weeks of paid maternity leave. And French men are entitled to 11 days. And you don't have to take them consecutively. So it's like, you know, if you're a woman in France, you could take the last, like, you know, last four or five weeks of your pregnancy off. And then you'd still have... 10, 11, 12 weeks off after you give birth. It's pretty amazing. Um, You also get life days off. Yes, more vacation time. If you get married, you're entitled to four days off. If you get into a civil union, you get one day off. That seems unfair. Uh, (laughs) I'm sure the LGBT community is going to get right on that. If there's a death in your family, you get two days off. And if one of your children gets married, (laughs) you can get a day off as well. So, I mean, it just keep, this list just keeps going on. These are, these are mandated. These are by law in France. If you employ people, you must pay for all of these things. Beginning this year, so this is new. Um, beginning this year, they have something called Mutuelle. M-U-T-U-E-L-L-E. I don't know how to pronounce that. But which was, uh, it was a paid private plan that you could acquire Uh, from a number of different companies to make up the balance of payments of the 30% medical costs. Okay, this is written kind of weird. Okay, I got it now. Let's see here. So beginning this year, this plan, this private plan, I can't pronounce, it used to be a paid private plan that you could acquire to make up the balance of the payments of the 30% of your medical costs you often had to handle on your own. So starting this year, which was two years ago, that now has to be made up by your employer. So basically what was happening was the state was taking on 70% of your health care costs. You could pick up this private plan that you'd have to pay for on your own that would cover the other 30%. Now what they've done is that 30%, that little bit of health care that you actually had to pay for on your own, is now covered by your employer. Um, That's the end of the mandatory benefits, but there are optional benefits that a lot of companies offer. You don't have to do this, but I imagine in order to, you know, stay competitive with other companies, you might have to. Some companies pay you for a 13th month each year. Uh, This is called Tresemme Moi. (laughs) I'm guessing that sounds, that means 13th month. And I think I might actually be like getting close to the pronunciation of that. But the purpose is so you don't have to set aside savings to pay your taxes. See, the French don't have withholding like we do. They don't just take money out of your paycheck before you even see it. 
you have to actually cut a check to the government at the end of the year. I really wish that's how they would make us pay our taxes. People get kind of numb to the idea of how much they're paying for these government services, most of, a, most of which um, a lot of us don't even use, because it's never like you ever had the money. They just take it out of your paycheck. It's just gone. Whereas if you had the money and you had to actually stroke a check at the end of the year, I think that might hit some people a little closer to home. Anyways, I digress. Uh, Cheques vacance. So these are checks that they give you to take your vacation. I I skipped the first part of this article because it was just kind of a backstory. But yeah, basically they give you sort of the equivalent of those um, lunch vouchers, those 10-year-old lunch vouchers. They give you the same thing for your vacations. (laughs) And they also give you checks for Christmas time because, you know, why should you have to pay for your own Christmas presents? Yeah. Some employers are giving, you know, 10 to 15 checks in 10 euro increments to their employees around Christmas time to help them purchase gifts for people. And uh, let's see. Last but not least, if you have at least 50 employees, this is required. And 0.2% of company of the company's wages must be diverted to fund the benefits it provides, which includes discounted movie and theater tickets, among other things. Smaller companies do not necessarily have this. So it looks like they gave you some free vouchers for movies and theater. So you're, you're nice and well-cultured, and um, you have things to do with all the vacation checks they give you. <laughs> I mean, it's no wonder that companies aren't hiring in France. These costs are astronomical to an employer mandated to give somebody five weeks vacation or 16 weeks of maternity leave. I mean, that's, or pause somebody's job while they go and take classes to um, start a different career. And so what's been, what's been going on in the French economy is instead of hiring workers full time, people are, companies are contracting workers. You've heard of the gig economy, right? You're moving from one gig to the next. So they're, they're hiring people as, you know, independent contractors so they don't have to provide all these benefits. You know, a lot of these younger people who were promised these lucrative jobs from their government are now getting very frustrated because they're out of work or they're getting, you know, one contracting job and they move to the next and they're not getting their five weeks vacation, their 16 weeks of maternity leave. You know, all, all that stuff, their vacation checks, <laughs> Christmas time checks, uh, you know, so now they're all pissed off. You know, the government sold them a bill of goods railing against those greedy corporations, you know, we'll stick it to the rich people, they'll pay their fair share, government will provide you with this, and we'll guarantee that you get X amount of days off, um, you only have to work X amount of hours per week, this much maternity leave. You know, these workers loved it at the time, but now the bills come and do. Government promises are are just that, will never come to fruition. These politicians, French politicians, U.S. politicians, it doesn't matter. They don't care about you. They don't care about the plight of the common man. I don't care what they tell you. They can, They will promise you everything under the sun, and they will deliver nothing but crushing debt. We have to we have to learn 
our lessons from this. This is where we're headed. I mean, that doesn't this sound familiar? We're headed this way. And if we don't change our mentality, we don't change the way we think about capitalism, about work, about personal responsibility, and if we just keep thinking that, you know, these politicians are out here to make our lives better and they're not actually looking out for their own self-interest, if we think that all we need to do is elect somebody to take care of us, to stick it to those greedy corporations, we're going to be in for a, a rude awakening. In this case, you know, it was a it was a gas tax that Macron put in to virtue signal how how good he is on climate change to get less cars on the street, you know. He wanted to spearhead that. Who knows what it's going to be in the US. So Anyway, that's what's been going on across the pond. It looks like Macron has he's done a couple things since these riots have taken place. One was he tried to float the idea of suspending the tax hike on on gas on the fuel tax. Um, he was going to suspend it for six months. Protesters didn't bite, and they continued to uh, riot. And so, you know when. When they didn't bite on his six-month suspension, came out. He's so fucking predictable. Pandering to the masses, but he, so he comes out and he details an increase in the amount of the minimum wage workers would receive in their pockets each month. 100 euros or 113. He's exempting an exemption from taxes on overtime pay and an exemption on certain social security taxes for retirees who earn less than 2,000 euros or $2,265 a month. So he's coming out and he's backpedaling even more, trying to placate these rioters. And it's just never going to work. And it's never going to work. There's, there's no satiating this mob of protesters. And now that they've smelled blood in the water, their demands are either going to get more extreme or their resolve is just going to be strengthened that much more so that they're, they have no reason to accept anything less now that he's capitulated a little bit. So, you know, what the president's doing is never going to work. But at the same time, what the protesters are trying to accomplish, it's not going to work out for them either. I mean, I'm sorry, as much as I'd like to get behind a government protest, their prescriptions to these problems, the the protesters' prescriptions to the problems that have brought them to protest are the exact same things that caused the problems that brought them to protest in the first place. They're the exact same policies that led to the gas tax increase, that led to the, the high unemployment that they're facing that led to the economic stagnation that they're all experiencing. This is only going to make things worse if they get their demands. I'm sorry, but drudging up failed Marxist policies from the past, dusting them off, rebranding them, kicking them up a couple notches is not going to solve the underlying problem. And the underlying problem is government. It is the French government it is the high taxes. Why do you think they have to keep increasing taxes? There's never enough rich people to fund the socialist utopia. It always ends up coming back down on the middle class and the lower class because that's where all the people are. That's where all the money is. 
Yeah, sure. Everything starts out as a pitch to, yes, we're going to tax the rich. We'll give you all these great benefits. But as soon as they realize that these benefits cost a lot more than we realize and, you know, us politicians, we need to take a cut too. It inevitably comes down to having to increase taxes on the very segment of the population that you're supposedly there to protect. Okay, so the reason you implemented this this policy in the first place was it was supposed to benefit the middle class, right? The, the poor and the middle class. And then once you enact that policy, the burden of sustaining it falls on the poor and the middle class every single time. You can pretty much set a clock to it. And it's because every every government program, and I can't stress this enough, it's like giving yourself a blood transfusion from your left arm to your right arm, but you spill half the blood on the floor. Okay, Government has no money of its own. Any program that they implement, any policy, anything they do, they have no money of their own. They don't produce anything. So everything they do is contingent upon them taking something, either money, resources, whatever, from one segment of the population, okay, they take a cut for themselves for their trouble to keep the bureaucracy in place, okay, and then whatever's left over after all the government largesse is then passed on in theory to the segment of the population that they, that they proposed to help in the first place, okay? No matter what you do, you cannot tax yourself into prosperity. It's impossible. It's like standing in a bucket and trying to lift yourself up by the handle. So, you know, as much as I'd like to get behind these French protests, as much as I love a good anti-government protest, with what you're protesting is government and your prescription is they just need to government harder, we need more government, tax the rich. I've seen that play before, you know, I, I just, and I can't get on board with it. So you guys have fun over there. See how far this socialism gets you. And when you're ready for some real solutions, when you want real answers to the problems that you're facing and you want to actually grow your economy, increase wealth and prosperity to even the poorest among you, bring more wealth and more prosperity to more people than ever, start listening to my podcast. That would at least be a good start. I've got the answers. You just have to listen to them. I think that's enough. I'm going to wrap here. I'll check in on this story. I don't think these protests are going to end anytime soon. I mean, they've been going on for weeks and weeks and weeks. Pretty strong. So we'll we'll see what happens. I'll follow the story, and you know, maybe we'll check back in a month or two to see what, what shakes out. Guys, if you like the show today, make sure you download and subscribe, share the show, tell your friends, and I'll be back next week. We'll do another episode of The Jew and the Gentile. I'll keep doing some solo podcasts. We'll see how it goes. But until next time, just keep peddling that so-called fiction. Peace. Peace.